You're listening to the Houston Music Podcast, the show where I have conversations with industry-leading sound designers, musical artists, producers, and manufacturers, all of whom are heavily connected to the audio world that surrounds us. I'm your host, Houston Singletary. And in this episode, I have a conversation with someone who's built up their amazing synthesizer arsenal from the ground up. I search every day online and I search every day locally. My chances of coming across something are probably much greater than someone who might. From having just a few followers to building his online presence to the next level. I mean, my views went from, you know, 40 to like 5,000. It was. And when it comes to collecting vintage synthesizers, well, we'll chat about that. If I could only have one synth, it would be something along the lines of like... Welcome to the Houston Music Podcast. Houston, we have a problem. Thanks for being here. Yeah, no problem. I first caught wind of your music on Instagram and then obviously started following you and checking in. But I think I caught you right before people really started noticing that sort of synth wave in your face, sort of punch you in the mouth (laughs) thing you were doing, especially on Instagram, which is where I see you most. But was there sort of a a moment or a turning point over the last couple of years you were like, oh, okay. Yeah, well, I actually just started, um, I, I mean, I've done music pretty much my whole life as a hobby, right? Like going back to when I was about 14 or so, um, like actually recording and, you know, uh, writing songs and stuff. And throughout my whole life, I've gone through different genres, you know, industrial or metal and rock and different types of electronic and whatever. And, you know, mostly my friends would hear it and they're like, dude, why don't you do something with this? And I'm just like, man, I just, that's not the life. It wasn't the life I wanted, right? Like I didn't want to get in a band and then live on the road and all that stuff. I had too much other shit that I liked doing, right? I've always been like a creative professional. So I always wanted to do other things. So I just always kept it as a hobby. So really in the last few years is the first time I actually went online and was like, okay, uh, you know, this seems like a fun thing. You know, I always loved 80s stuff. I was a kid in the 80s. So let's, uh, let's put some of this online. And at first I was just kind of doing the same stuff, you know, posting some cool 80s pictures and then like some of my first little synths and setups and stuff and little melodies I made and it was okay. And then... I I was like, why don't I use some of my background? Because I used to do visual effects um, professionally and a lot of video stuff. So I was like, why don't I use some of that and like combine it and, you know, show me playing stuff. And once I did that, that's what really took it to another level. Like, I mean, my views went from, you know, 40 to like 5,000. It was it was literally like, it was, it was crazy. There's a sizable amount of camera shifts and angles, but it doesn't feel edited. It just feels like this is real time. This is some pro stuff. At what point does an artist that's sharing their craft on a platform like Instagram, is there something that triggers like viewers or potential viewers or a share that says, this is really engaging? Yeah. I mean, um, People ask me, all the, I get a lot of messages like, how do you do this? How do you do the videos? And how, what do you use? And what do you make? And, you know, they're like, how long does this take? And for me, it doesn't take that long because I know exactly what to do. And I've been doing it for a long time. So I just, I have a few cameras and I, 
you know, I'll do, I'll, I'll lay down like a drum track or a click track or something like that. And I'll get on each, each synth or whatever instrument I'm using and I'll do, you know, one of the tracks and I'll record myself at a couple different angles doing that. And I'll do that with each different instrument. And then I'll, uh, render out my audio track from doing all of that. Um, then I take all those clips into Premiere Pro, my audio track, and I cut it like I was cutting a movie. I sync up all the audio from all the tracks until the final major track or the final rendered track and cut it like a movie. And at the end, that's what you get. To me, that's really cool. It doesn't come across as even over polished. It just comes across as the craft. Right. It's always explained well. It's like, this is something that influenced me right. five yeah. years ago, or here's the anniversary of this video game release title right. score. Right. And you've only got 60 seconds. Exactly. When you break that down, that is super technical. <laughs> My brain doesn't really function that way like yours does on that, like multiple camera angles. Not to mention the artistry of the song. It's like whether you're nailing classic track, which you're super well known for, or meticulously recreating like a vault, vintage vault video game right. track where it's just like, holy shit, man, that's <laughs> not just the melody and the groove. Because then there's this whole other side of it of vintage synthesizers, particular uh, types of right. synthesizers, and then the whole lore, if you will, right. vintage lore side of things yeah. to Instagram and to YouTube. And right. you walk us through a couple of days of like the process of sure. building that. It's, it's a, you know, let's just be honest. It's a museum. <laughs> it's a beautiful, nerded out museum of vintage synthesizers, modern synthesizers, retrofitted video arcade chassis. Well, I don't, aside from a few cents that I have now, which are like the, you know, the Oberheim OBXA, you know, and a few other, like, like I didn't have originally like a plan, like, oh, I'm definitely going to get these synthesizers, right? Like I, that one specifically, the, the OBXA was my Jupiter 8. Like that's the one I wanted. Yeah. But when I started getting into synths in general, it didn't have anything to do with vintage versus modern or anything like that. It was just synths in general, the sounds, right? Because I had to learn about them. Right. Just like everyone, everyone you see getting into it, they, that's all they ask all the time is like you can go on Reddit or wherever and people are just asking nonstop questions about them. Sure. And um, I was there, too. And when I first started, yeah, it didn't matter to me. Uh, but then once you start researching sense and you restart, you research what sense were used, you know, on old songs and tracks and stuff like that, then you then that's when the want happens. Right. You, you start craving that. Sure. So, um the OBXA stood out to me. So that was kind of like my, you know, my goal synth, you know, like I definitely have to have that synth. That was when I first started. Interesting information because you were trying to learn, but you right. were also trying to examine and pinpoint specific sounds and synthesizers from certain eras and genres. Right. Everyone has to start somewhere. Exactly. Just synthesis in general, you know, like, um, when I first got into synthesizers, it was, you know, I didn't really think about learning uh, synthesis. I just wanted to get the machines and plug them in and hear how they sounded and go, right? So uh, the first few things I had, like I didn't, I didn't really get into learning synthesis right away. It was later when I decided, you know, I wanted to know how sounds were made. And, um, you know, I knew what, you know, monophonic and polyphonic and all that you know uh but that was that's easy but 
a lot of people don't really get into learning synthesis and because it's kind of daunting when you first get into it. And, um, I'm a creative, like I would call myself a creative. I'm not a programmer of any kind. I'm not that I'm not a technical person that way. Um, so, uh, I guess that's what put me off learning it for a little bit, but, um, back to, I guess my process of how I get sense and what I, what I go after and stuff like that. Um, cause people ask me all the time how I, how I find the sense that I find. Cause I, I usually find stuff that's in extremely good condition for, for old stuff, which that's what I want. I mean, everybody would obviously prefer that, but I seem to have really good luck in that sense. You're saying, so some of it's a little luck, like you'll get it and it's like the wood in cheeks are super mint. You get it out, you take the bubble wrap off and you're like, this is better than I thought. It doesn't smell like a, like an old coffin. <laughs> I, I've, yeah. I mean, I'm persistent though. Like I search every day. I search every day online and I search every day locally. So my chances of coming across something are probably much greater than someone who might just look every now and then or just when they happen to discover a scent, then they start maybe whenever they have a specific amount of money or they got to save or whatever. I can wake up, go online and just do a search on, whether on, it's on reverb. Or, yes, I'm always on the hunt for stuff, regardless of if there's something specific in mind in case I run across something that's either rare or something that I might find that's new and I'll research it a little bit. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is great. And I want to grab that. So it's big boy pants. It's like you're not messing around. No, that's another thing is like people ask me all the time. They're like, man, how many descents do you have by now? And it's like I try to I try not to like I'm not a hoarder. OK, that's a there's a difference. Like I'm a, I've always been a collector of things, right? I still have a bunch of all my all my old toys and game consoles and games and stuff like that. And I like having stuff, but I'm not a completist like I'm not like I have to own every synthesizer in the world and just store it right, right. like I everything I have I want to use and if it's something that I don't use I'll just wind up selling it or trading it for something else that I want um so and I I try to keep things like my studio is pretty full right now you know all my racks are full I've got tables and stuffs you know I don't want to have synthesizers that are stacked on the walls or stacked around that don't get played or anything like that because that's that makes me sad but um so I've gone through a lot of cents, you know, five times the amount that I have right now, probably to get to the ones that I have. It's fascinating. So it's like for every one synth, tons of character, legendary vintage synth that's sitting on, you know, tier number two that's focused on in a video, there could be three or four that a viewer just to your Instagram page doesn't even know about that I have that have or you had that you went through and you're like you know yes. this poly six I it's just I don't know not feeling that's it. right out the door however and wherever it goes it goes to a good home that's fantastic this is some interesting take and look at sort of the inside the your synth world yeah 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 I'm very logical that way but um and practical I guess uh, a lot of people wouldn't see everything I have as practical but to me it is you know considering how many I've had or gone through mm -hmm. um, because with sense it's not you, you can't just you can't just take a sense right I mean technically if you want to go buy a synth take it home mess with it and then return it but that's not really practical to do right and plus there's not a lot of shops everywhere that just have every synth, especially vintage sense right you just have to own it to know whether it's gonna work for you or not. You can research to death, but until you get the actual synth and write music with it and see if it's inspiring or whatever, you're not going to know. So a synth that might be classic, 
a, a Jupiter 8. Everybody wants a Jupiter 8, you know, and their prices are just insane because everybody wants them. But there, someone might get it, and then it might not do anything for them. They might have it and go, cool, I got a Jupiter 8, and they might play it, but it, they can't seem to fit it into what they do, or it might not you know, be inspiring to them. They maybe mm-hmm. maybe the one they get doesn't have MIDI, and it freaks them out, and they're whatever. You know, who knows? It's the con- so, it's that connection too. It's that yes. that a lot of uh, I call it the lust factor. Someone needs the Jupiter Eight. Jupiter Eight right. is back. But I think a lot of it too is that sort of hand to keys sound back to ears experience that folks get. They get it. They spent you know an enormous amount of money. There's a little bit of the lust factor, and they get right. it. And then they're like. Yeah, this is just, I can do the same brassy stuff on this or wait. Exactly. I mean, it's like, oh, I got to add reverb or why doesn't it sound like this song? It's like, oh, my, oh, compression to, oh. And then, and next thing you know, it's back on reverb or what? And that's cool. Yes. Nine times out of 10, especially when you're talking about memory mogs and Jupiter 8s and monopolies and mini mogs. And yeah, I, you can, I, I could almost guarantee it, and I think you agree, that there's just a lust factor. It's so easy. The in- we didn't have this 15 years ago where you had the internet, where you had where you could go on and you could see things and play right. it. It's a whole different thing in your world. And it's yeah. what drew me to you know become a fan of the page and like follow you was there's not only just the artistry and the music, but then there's this collection of very... Spe- and you broke this down. Great. It's like the very specific methodical way that you go through your synth arsenal right. when a piece is themed for a song. You know, when sure. I say song, I'm talking song. I'm talking arrangement. We'll, we'll get into that, which is fascinating to me. What I noticed a lot online um, is that, and just from people I know, like not a lot of uh, serious musicians or enthusiasts talk shit about instruments a lot. They just don't do it. They're always interested to see what's coming out, and they want to play it, and they want to hear it, and they're interested. They're not just online trolling people. So I think a lot of people have to think about that too. Like trolls online troll everything. That's just what they do. You know, right. trolls that happen to like music or happen to have wandered, you know, wandered into the synth realm a little bit or whatever. That's just they're they're not like trolls on everything else and then just going to be great there. You know, like so most serious people that are serious about music, they're not the ones causing all this. Then there's the get off my lawn. Yes. Right. That's I, I got off of Reddit a while ago because I used to go into the the synthesizer, you know, subreddit. But I mean, it it was insane. Like if I if I like I started posting because people post pictures of their synthesizers and their setups and stuff. I started doing it, and all I got was like trashed, right? Like, oh, you have mommy's money or daddy's money or you're right, in a basement right. and you're what? I'm just like when someone. It's like if you post something that's worth more than like if you post something more than a mini log, you know, then you've got you know your your shit on. And for having stuff, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. I was sense. a pretty early s- subscriber, I guess, to the to the Protovolt world. And I, I, I watched you go through that. Yes. I knew it was coming. And I right. watched you work through that artistically. 
and musically, kind of watching you sort of weave through that. Right. You, you always came back with sort of a, a punch you in the mouth kind of thing of like, check this track out. Right. It's interesting. Not a lot of people experience that or get to the point where they have to experience that. I used to get that. Well, I, I was going to say, I used to get that when I used to do a lot of video tutorials back in the day right. for Ableton. You know, there'd be, like I said, like 90%, everything's cool. Somebody thinks I really learned something. Then you would get that one that was just derogatory. And it just kind of makes you feel bad as you crunch through your cereal. You know, you're just like, really? It just makes me disappointed in people. Kind of disappointed. Yeah. That's a good analogy. Yeah. You know, it doesn't make me question what I'm doing. Right. Because like I have fun doing what I'm doing and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be some famous pop star musician or anything. Right. Like I have my own, this is a hobby to me. You know, and if I get some cool stuff, if I get some cool gigs or get to work with cool people or on a movie or something like that, that would be amazing. But since my focus isn't trying to be some famous guy, then, you know, that pressure of having some some guy come on and be like and say some talk some trash, it doesn't mess with me like they hope that it does. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's an it's a it's a balance. It's also separates the the folks who are successful folks like Rick Beato and some other folks that do really amazing stuff on the web as far as presenting ideas and knowledge and, and the craft of music and songwriting. And in, in your case, kind of all three of those, <laughs> along with the awesome world of synthesis, there's there's something to be said about that. So, <laughs> so which kind of 360 degrees goes back to my comment earlier about how I've watched you work through that stuff. Because right. you want to share it and you want to show this awesome gear. Right. Well, most luckily, most of my followers get it right. And they follow me for the all those reasons you mentioned. Right. It's like I follow pages that are either like, you know, classic exotic cars or whatever that I want to look at. Or I follow someone that has a bunch and they post cool pictures because I'm interested. I love exotic cars. So I want to follow a page that shows them. Right. So when people post off like you're just showing off, I'm like, well, yeah, that's what my page is. I'm showing off the stuff that I have and the music that I make literally every other person that does something creative that has an Instagram account mm-hmm. for it is showing off their stuff. Yeah. I'm not telling everybody that they're a piece of shit if they don't have it. I'm not telling everybody that they can't make music if they don't have it. None of that. So it's just, it's ridiculous. Well, there is a craft. There is a craft to the, to the style of shutting someone down. Right. You know what I mean? You're still trying to interject the art and craft of songwriting and the, and musicology and the appreciation for vintage, you know, genre specific vintage music, primarily retro wave, synth wave, the kind of stuff that you do. Everybody just wants to talk about synths, man. We want to nerd out yes. on this crazy freaking two tier Yamaha thing that we didn't even know existed. Not only are you playing through it, but you also give some information. So we spin off and go look it up in a particular movie. You know, and it's like, holy right. shit, I, that's right. It's like that Technics WX. Yes. Is it the WX7? The, it's a SXWSA1. Not a loss for symbols there, but that's classic Technics. And I have this foggy memory of it. I was like four oscillator. How is that even where? And it makes me go. Sure enough, man, I go start searching around, like get information on it. Vintage. Right. Just to find out what's happening. Well, in the future, in the future, I do plan on trying to make it to some 
convention, you know, whether it's Nam or just other yeah. synth stuff. You know, uh, I've been, I've asked people, or people have asked me before, like, hey, are you going to this or that? And I'm just like, I can't right now. I'm just too busy or whatever. But when when companies like Roland or Novation or Sequential or Moog, um, are these kind of companies, are they in touch with you? Are they follow, are they not only following, but are they kind of knocking on the door saying, hey, we'd love to get your thoughts on how do you approach that? I mean, in this influencer world where we're at the point to where we actually experienced seeing the first influencer weekend convention, you've got all these influencers out there now on YouTube who are engaging their followers and their fan base, and they're just running through gear on literally a daily basis. Like it's totally earmarked. And I was just curious, there are companies sort of coming out of the woodwork for someone like yourself? No, actually, uh, I get asked a lot about people uh, from people, like if I'm sponsored or if I get stuff for free or if people send me stuff or whatever. And I've gotten a couple of things from like small indie companies, right? Like to try out. But I wish that big companies sponsored me, like, or they would at least send me stuff to try out or whatever. I mean, I've gotten some interest recently from Roland. I'm supposed to be talking to them, but no one else. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a few, like, some companies that follow me, but nope, I've gotten zero contact from anyone wanting to do anything from with me. And I'm like, you know, that's fine. You know, I'm still going to be doing what I'm doing, but you know, I, I don't know if it's because, like, I'm not a technical reviewer. That's not what I do. Like companies, there's there's already so many channels out there, whether it's on YouTube or wherever, that do these long technical reviews that show you each, each button does, and they just talk about all the specs of the synth. And that's not what I do, right? Loopop, Bobby, it's fantastic. You want to learn? Exactly. You're going to hit Loopop. You're just going right. to, it's like, hello. What I'm trying to convince, or what I would like companies to realize is that there's a lot of people out there that that's not what they want to see. They want to see what the thing can do, like full on, right? So I want to be someone who they send a product to and say, make some badass videos, right? It can be different genres, whatever, use a ton of patches and let's, you know, use your, some of your videos to show that side of the product, not just like this technical review, because a lot of these companies, it seems they're very DJ focused with their demos, even stuff that's not DJ equipment, right? They, their, their demos or their videos they put out are generally like one guy twisting some knobs and it's usually the same kind of electronic, you know, beat, right? It's the same type of thing. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't really show off the capabilities, right? And I think that a lot of companies get stuck in a loop of trends of music or whatever, but that's the thing that I would say disappoints me the most about the synth industry is that every time a new synth comes out, I have to wait to see what it really does from people that buy it and upload videos of them playing it or playing a song or whatever because the official videos never, for me, show what it can actually do. Right. You've got to dig into maybe Nick, you know, at Sonic State will do his thing in the studio, but he'll bring in a product specialist and their job, their literal yes. job is whether it's the Roland Cat or the Artoria guy right. or a girl or, and they come in, they run through it. Nick asks the, the the obvious questions and they get through it. You know, Nick right. and, and the crew at Sonics, they know what they're doing. So they've got the sound pipes the right way. I think I want to say, you know, loop ops the same kind of way. You even have right. chapter breakdowns to the left with loop ops. So it's like, exactly. oh, I, oh, I want to get to the, 
the, to the touch sensitivity, polyphonic, aftertouch, blah, blah, blah. Okay, cool. I'll go to 23 minutes and whatever. Right. Yeah, it's definitely. I mean, you don't see that in anything that you're doing. But I, I, I wanted to just talk to you about that because it seems like the next evolution on top of just continuing to deliver these really tasty tracks and homage pieces to specific genres and styles right. of music that there's going to, at some point, has to be a company. I, I mean, Roland's a good company to be in. It's like somebody's got to come knocking on the door. It's just right. like... I would love that. But like I said, I think that they, they're not seeing me in a typical influencer way. And I, I, I hate calling myself that. I've never called myself that actually but um i think because the trend of what a a music instrument influencer is are these technical review youtube channels you know and there's already enough they're good they're great you know like i'm not going to just do another one because for one like i said there's already a bunch and they're great there doesn't need to be more and that's not my style it's not what i do if a company knows about me and they want to do something with me and you know there's they reach out or whatever then that's totally cool i'll totally uh um discuss that and be happy to be part of that world but i'm never gonna just you know blow up all these people's you know stuff and go after it yeah you seem like the kind of cat that's like and you know i'm not gonna we won't name names but a certain company would approach you to to infiltrate the protovolt you know, uh, social media sphere. And you're like, Hey man, I appreciate it, but I just, I can't roll with this name. I can't go with this, this the flow you guys have had. Well, you seem to be like that kind of individual that's going right. to hold any punches. I've always been kind of, uh, open about my views on a lot of different stuff, especially through my, my Q and A's that I do. And, um, uh, I'm just, you know, I, like I was in marketing for a long time. I know how it works. I know how it goes and I know there's trends in it. And I, I, like I said, I, I can see companies and I can see who they repost and I can see what kind of videos that they show. And, you know, I've done some not like I like I like what I do, but I've, I've done some videos that I, I consider really badass with certain companies products and they would never they've never even come close to posting anything that I've done. But right. then I'll see a video, you know, of some guy sitting in a room with almost nothing in it. And he's, you know, it's almost like you have to kind of be a part of a hipster culture for them to want to post your stuff. Like I've got to have, you know, a little plant by me and then I've got to be playing a flute with one hand and then playing the synth with the other hand for them to like want to post the video. And that's just not me. I'm never going to do that. Yeah. You know? So if I can see those trends are happening, it, it makes me not question like, well, do they not like what I'm doing with their products? It's like, I know it's like a marketing standpoint, like what's happening. So also it's who, you know, but then f those were fostering those relationships is something I built on for years. And it's like, whether I'm at NAM right. or some kind of convention or whatever it is, it's maintaining those relationships and putting back what's asked of you, but then continuing to not just to not screw it up. Yes. I couldn't go into the influencer type of thing. I just influence the way I've always influenced going back to my first tutorial video for for easy for tune track in 2004 yeah wagon you know it was super archaic to post that kind of stuff and i still have a great relationship with them today right you know for me i think we share that same sensibility outlook on this kind of stuff it's like let me give you some information that hopefully you can walk away with 
that gives you yes. an understanding on the craft of songwriting, playability, the way a certain synthesizer feels or tactile right. gives it back to you. I would say so far I've been the si- the, the most silent because I can I'm saying that because all these companies have no idea how much of their gear I've sold for them already because of people watching my videos and then DMing me and asking me questions and asking me what they should buy and asking me advice and then in turn sending me videos and pictures through DM showing me that they purchased those things and they're happy and excited and all that stuff. That has happened so much for so much gear, but I don't I don't talk about that publicly like on my feed and I don't go after these companies and tell them that. That's why I'm not mentioning any like specific brands, but it happens all the time. And so that's why I'm waiting for companies to kind of break their cycle of the same kind of thing they've been doing and maybe take a chance and say, okay, maybe we can get someone else to do a different kind of video to show, you know, our gear or just even in addition to for different types of viewers. But I think that the future is bright. And I think that there's, there's an honesty to it with you. And it's, I just think good things happen to good people. So I, you know, I mean, and I'm not seething about it or anything. I just, it's observations. And that means they're not, not that they're not focused on me. It's that they're not focused on other people that might be like me that want to see different kinds of stuff, you know, like, and it, uh, it just like, I hope that it changes sometime, you know, it has to. The Houston Music Podcast is sponsored in part by our good friends at Avastor Onion Digital, the makers of amazing hard drive peripherals to handle all of your audio and video production content. If you're in the audio production and podcasting game, then you should definitely check out the Avastor line of hard drives to keep all your files safe and flowing fast. Visit them at onyondigital.com forward slash Avastor. That's oyendigital.com forward slash Avastor. It's an influencer world. We just got to live in it. But I, I think it's. <laughs> I think you're in an interesting place with that. And I was. I was kind of surprised to hear that it's not a lot of companies are bang, banging on the door. That's not to say that they won't. I just think it's an interesting. Scenario, yeah, I mean, you know. and I've, I've, uh, all my, my page or my feed on Instagram has, is 100% organically grown. Okay. Sure. A lot of people, and you can find it, a lot of people pay for followers, they pay for likes, and it's very obvious. If someone has 30,000 followers and all their posts get 100 likes that they've paid for followers, you know, like mm-hmm. it's very obvious. And I think that, I, I I love the interaction that I get because I see a lot of people, other people, even influencers that don't have that many followers and they don't get a lot of interaction. And I like that I have a lot of organic interaction that people like talking amongst themselves in my posts and talking to me and talking about the stuff, you know. I was on a call and we were talking about, we were actually talking about the Hydrosynth and a couple of other, I think maybe the Roland piece. And we were talking about synthesis. And then we kind of got into the conversation of how 
it'd be interest, interesting to see if certain types of synthesis come back. If you, let's say, well, it's the desert island question I pose. It's like <laughs> you've got one type of synthesis. You know, you got FM, a vector, and additive, and subtractive, and there's all these different types of ways to look at it. What's your go-to? If you had to choose to make music, what do you gravitate towards? I'm always interested in that when I talk to my heavy sound design. Well, you, at, people have learned before, asking me about something to pick a favorite or anything like that, I am not a good person for that because I, it's hard for me to do that because I miss things too much. <laughs> like, like, I can't just say subtractive. I can't just say that because that lends itself to a specific, a, a, a limited type types of sounds that you can have right but i also like like it's it's just it's hard i it's hard it for me is. to ever choose one thing sure. because because in reality if i could only have one synth it would be something along the lines of like you know this technic synth that i have not that specific one but something that has like oscillators that can mimic types of synthesis but also have samples like so that i can play wide range of things and a lot of people would expect me to be like, oh, I want like a, just like my OBXA or just like a, a, a one all analog, you know, whatever. But it's not because I like, I like a wider um, range. And if you're talking about one thing, then I want some, the one thing that has the broadest range of sounds, mm -hmm. yeah. not the purest, the broadest range. Right. So I, you know, I, it, for me, it's a daily thing. I say yes. daily because my world is so ensconced in sound design and presets and and making music, right. I tend to stick longer in creating sounds and creating music. And by, when I right. say music, I mean four to eight bar melodic yes. uh, hook section going into a bridge and creating scene. In my case, Ableton, you know, creating different scenes and is FM. Right. I was more, I was surrounded by more Moog and more sequential stuff on that analog side of things. But it wasn't until the 2000s that I suddenly was like, reintroduced to the characteristics and the and the building blocks of fm and then yeah. the result but then one other thing that i think comes into play which you were starting to allude to in a way is that well do i also get a reverb on this desert island exactly you know, do i also get a strymon big sky or an h9 i mean what what's happening here or is this strictly like bare bones theremin no reverb i just wanted to present that question i know it was it, was, it could lend itself to a broad take yeah but i th it's interesting you're so you've you've got to have brushes and 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 all the jars in a way not all the jars but you you want to be able to expand and if you need sample based sounds you want them if you need sure. vector or you need fm you want them right i'm i'm pretty and i have no problem basically telling things how they are as far as synths and BSTs and stuff like that. It's like I have synths because I wanted them and they are inspiring to me and I like having pieces of music history, right? Absolutely. But if you take all my synths away, I'll make the exact same music with VSTs. So I, the reason I have what I have is because I want them because I like them and they inspire me. It has nothing to do with if I don't have these, I could never get those sounds. Right. I could, ne you know, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I just, I, I'm not going to bullshit people that way. People ask me all the time. They're like, they, they, they send me these messages of the amount of money that they have and what, what scent they should buy. And 
I'm always like, well, first of all, do you know anything about synthesis? Have you ever messed around with VSTs? Do you do you know anything about it? I was like, don't go spend two thousand dollars on a synthesizer and you've never played one and you've never had one. I was like, do you have a computer? Do you have a powerful enough computer? Then go download some VSTs, see what you like, see what kind of synths you like, you know, learn about it a little bit before you go spend all your money on a synth, you know? Yeah. And uh, I, it's like if all these synths I have happen to have been digital, I would still want them because they're pieces of history and they're beautiful and they're these works of art. And you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that – how you just explained that really shows the difference between someone who appreciates the art and the form of a vintage synth to the level yes. of a car collector. I think that's how I would sort of describe it. If someone was like, yeah, you, do you know Protobol? What's, what's the story? How does, does he, does he just play stuff or does he borrow stuff? Or is he, and I'm like, no, he's a collector and he's very particular yes. on the sounds and the styles that he brings from these particular pieces of synth, of, of, equipment that he that he obtains you're engaging or you're like okay wait a minute what's the budget well hold the flow for a second you should think about maybe looking at some vsts and so that's that's another attribute that's really important for folks right. to understand is that like i i do my best to come across that way too i'm never one I, i'll always respond to a dm an email a message where someone's they just need a little bit of information Right. You know, it's not an RTM, RTM, you know, read, read the manual thing. It's just like, hey, I've got 600 bucks. Should I wait? I kind of get that sometimes with Moog, I think, with yeah. me. Because people know me as a heavy Moog user and they're like, should I wait? Or should I just go ahead and splurge on the, this? And I'm like, you could. But on, my answer nine times out of 10 is take your time, go to your nearest music store, tell everybody to leave you alone. Yes. And just play it, man. Put some headphones on and just play it. Why would you not do that? And it's, it's stunning to think about the folks who are just like, no, well, I got some room on the card. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna grab it. I'm gonna do it. I'm making the, yeah. I'm making the plunge. You touched on something else that reminded me of of where we are with technology now. You can go to the Rolling Cloud and demo virtually every synthesizer they make. Right. How crazy is that, man? I know you're a Rolling yeah, Cloud user. I am. I love it. It's like you want to really know what a D50 is all about or an SH2 or a Jupiter 8. It's like, well, go, go in the cloud for a minute before you decide to get your wallet out. So Yes, it's definitely true. And overall, in general, the point of all these things is their sound. And as long as it sounds good, I don't care what's running it. If there's a mouse inside turning a little wheel – you know, that's generating a spark. Like, I don't care what it is. I just don't care. I want it to sound good. You have to have a blindfold event. Yeah. Yeah. I've done, I've done private blind tests with people before. It's amazing. Just to I love kind it. of prove things. Yeah. And I don't think one time they've gotten it right. No. Not, I, not one yeah. time. I, I, I'm, so, yeah. I've been, that's what I'm saying. We, I've, I've walked that walk before. I've seen it happen in studios. Right. And so that's cool that you've done it too. And it's like, and it's not just, it's more of just one of those great reactions of just like, oh man. And it's like, it's kind of a happy thing. It's not like you're trying to bust somebody's balls. You're just sort of yeah. like, we're in this weird place right now. Well, um, it's funny. I'm, I'm, uh, there's a friend of mine off of Instagram uh, that I talk to quite often. I've known him on there for a, a, quite a while, but he's, I, I give him shit all the time because he's very much one of these, like, you know, analog is warm. Digital is always like harsh or 
you know, cold, right? And he's talking about it's always, right? And when I had a peak, I was like, he was looking for something, like another thing to buy. And he's like, man, he goes, I don't know, like, Novation? Goes, I just don't want to get, yeah, Novation's peak. And I was like, I was like, man, it sounds really good. Like, you, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Like, it, and he's like, he's like, yeah, but he goes, like, it's not going to just like sound like a, a good analog synth. Like, he was like, like, let's take your Jupiter six. He goes, you can't just, he goes, you can do the, he goes, it's never going to sound like that. And I was like, well, give me a second. So I went on the peak and I found, uh, a, I, I p- picked a patch on the Jup- my Jupiter six. I recreated that patch on the peak and I sent him files and no lie. He was like, he goes, it's de- this one's definitely the Jupiter six because it sounds warm. And the other one sounds like this. And he picked the peak. God, could he have used any like, more obvious terms? Like, <laughs> and I was, well, I'm just saying, <laughs> oh my God, and I, I, love I, it. I told him, I said, I said, look, you just picked the peak. So guess what? He bought a peak and it. no lie. After a week, he's like, I can't keep this. It's just too cold. It doesn't. Oh, so in some yeah. people's minds, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're not going to be convinced. It doesn't matter if they hear Cause I, I proved it to him. In real time, I was like, look, you just picked this multiple times. You thought it was the analog synth. It wasn't. And he got it, and he still couldn't get past it, like, in his own head. He just couldn't do it. And I was just like, all right, man. So I always – I still give him shit about stuff like that all the time. But it's like – Certain people, you're not gonna, you're no. not gonna change their minds. No, you know? you're not. You're not. It's there's a bias uh, that causes them to not accept it. It goes on with guitars and amps and preamps yes. and and yeah, it's the same, literally the same thing. We just deal with it in this whole analog versus digital thing. And when the and when the digital gets it right, it's awesome. Yeah. Every once in a while, something comes along, and you're like, uh, they struck a nerve. Right, and. And it's not that it's like some sense, yeah, they'll come out digital sense, and then right from the get go, whatever they have in their presets or whatever are beautiful, right? And people are like, okay, this synth, this will, this sounds like analog synth, but I mean, digital synths have been able to mimic analog for a long time, you know, like Nord, Nord sound great, but most people play Nord like they use the pianos, right? Like stage pianos. Mostly people use Nords for stage pianos, but Nords can mimic analog amazing. Yeah, the lead, you know? yeah, um, lead, the lead one, the freaking, two, three, the modular. Yeah, have you have you uh, have you ever messed with like just the Yamaha AN one X? Absolutely. It's like super cheap. You can get them for like two hundred bucks. Is that the blue and black? Online. Blue and black yeah, it's one. Yes, bright yeah. blue, and it sounds great. I want to say that was let me guess ninety four. Without yeah, looking, it was a, but, it was but, a VA, yeah. their VA synth, and it it sounds great. But people, they kind of blacklist in their heads either a certain price or sure anything that's not exactly what they know to be pure, and they're they're screwing themselves really because if they take all their money and they save up and blow a whole wad on that one synth, you know, that does one pure thing, when they could have had something for cheaper that would have given them more options or a wider range of you know, music they could make, they don't do it because they're too worried about, it's really mostly worried about people, social stuff, social status. And I'll, uh-huh. I'll do a challenge if people want to, like if they want to, like, I'm not going to go buy a bunch of cents, but if someone wants to like ship me a microcorg or ship me some small thing, I'll make a track Yep. and sure. show them that it's not, that's not what's the, the issue is. <laughs> yeah. Make music you know, all the time. Just right. let's just make some music. Yeah, totally. It's, uh, it, or just use BSTs of their choice, whatever. I have almost ever. I have tons of BSTs too. Now I think it's insane as a Peak user and a, and a, and yes. a huge fan of of the Peak series that the word cold is used with that. But then again, synthesis, sound design, it's just not their world, man. 
a plug and play kind of cat, Saturday afternoon at Guitar Center kind of user. That's how I look at that. You have to respect that. You know, I'll give you my, I'll give you as much information as you want if you want to talk about it. But at the end of the day, if you're going to go do what that individual did and get rid of it, it's like the modular revolution. The, the person gets it, they fill the rack. What's the first thing they do? They don't post music on SoundCloud. They post a picture. Even right. to the point of, guess what UPS brought today? Now, granted, sure, there's some modular users out there in Red Stripe and other fantastic cats that do wonderful songs and present music. The modular thing is, gr- is hilarious to me because it's like, just filled my rack with a so-and-so. Three weeks later, dear Facebook, unloading these, yes. no rack rash, uh, looking to move into this. Right. For me, I think that what a lot of the the new generation doesn't realize, okay, and they're, it's it's almost like done to them is that prior to the last, I would say decade maybe, right? Prior to the last decade, maybe even before that, music instrument companies were primarily making their instruments for active musicians or very. Um, active enthusiasts, right? Either professional musicians or not. That's why when you used to go into music stores, everything was just like, it was expensive, everything. They had they had some things that were cheaper, right? But now it's like a majority of things are cheap and there's very few things that are, I mean, as far as like the ratio that are built for like, that are very pro nowadays because music instrument companies realized that, they had a much broader market if they could convince everyone that liked music that they could also be famous musicians. Interesting. So, yeah, yeah because if they're marketing towards a fraction of people that are that happen to be professional musicians or up-and-coming musicians that are already, you know, making some money and all that, that's a very small fraction. They can convince every kid in high school that he can buy a machine or buy whatever, any, any of these things that are a few hundred dollars or even less that they can also be a beat star or whatever, then they just broaden their market by, I mean, um, I mean, almost everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody loves music, right? So now that's, that seems to be the biggest drive for most companies. Now it's money. The point of their companies is to make money. So you can't fault them for it. It's just, that happens to be where it went. So now that's why you have all these accounts on Instagram of all these kids who who bought a machine or a micro or used or whatever, and you hear, see them hitting two pads playing a beat of samples they didn't make or they bought or downloaded for free or whatever, and they're saying they're like a master producer, and everybody's like, oh shit, this is fire, how do you do that? And they're yeah. all the same people that then go out and buy the same stuff, use the same samples, trigger other people's music or beats or whatever, and they have it in their heads that that's what music making is mm-hmm. like that they're they're musicians or they're songwriters or they're whatever and it's like a a cycle and it it's it, it just grows and grows and grows and grows it's interesting because it's the 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 synthesizer electronic beatbox manufacturers are doing now what the drums acoustic drums and guitar industry have done for decades where if we build it they will come so right. it's like it's and that's why drums and guitars and basses are always, it's never going to go away. The next thing is the best thing. And right. in recent years, synthesizer manufacturers have sort have bolted onto that. And so 
you know, next demographic but, is coming up. It's just the way it's going to work. All, all companies do it, right? Car companies do it. Absolutely. If you look at sure. Mercedes, BMW, some of the top ones, they started creating many more lines that were cheaper in order to gain more customers, right? right? Like they had some a few series. Then they, they put on like three or four more series of cars that, look, you don't have to be rich to afford this brand. You can get this one and this one and they kept getting cheaper and cheaper but it dilutes it dilutes things right like i said i i first i was i played drums when i was super young that's the first thing that i played then i got into guitar when i was in middle school and high school and i learned to play guitar and at that time uh, i went to guitar center you know with my dad and i was like oh i want a guitar and the the walls of guitars were pretty much all mid to high-end guitars right and i was like well there's got to be you know, something I think I wound up getting the first Squire, right? The the, mm-hmm. the Strat Squire, which was just at that time it was it was horrible. Um, but the, it was like it had its own little section. Like here's the cheap guitar you can buy. But now when I go to Guitar Center, it's mostly all low end stuff now huh. because they all the companies start making. You know, they made a lot more cheaper models for people to buy. So there's so, more, yeah. So the cheap there's more cheaper guitars on the lower racks than there used to be in the day where it was sure a predominant yeah, I mean, amount of like interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's you know, I I just noticed that, and it's kind of the same with electronic gear and synth stuff. You know, like if I go to any guitar center around DFW, I mean, I'll be lucky to find. Something. That, I mean, I, I don't count like a montage, like having one montage there as being, you know, because montages are expensive, but it's not, that's a specific type of thing, right? Any other sense. I will not find, I won't find any sequential sense there. I won't find any Moogs there to play. I won't find anything. No. It's all like, mm-hmm. they'll have a little rack of boutiques. They'll have a bunch of MIDI controllers. They'll have, you know, maybe one new synth, but you can't, like, there's nowhere for me to go in this giant city like to de- to see any new nice sense or professional stuff that's coming out there's nowhere to go so it's a lot of other cities and that way you've got you you really have to sort of pinpoint those you know Detroit modular and 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 some of those types of stores right those brick and mortar stores where you can go in and spend an afternoon and yes and i mean i obviously i think online has really screwed a lot of these stores obviously but um, cause I remember when I was younger going into those stores and they had high incense then at the time, whatever they were selling at the time, you know, they had a bunch of them cause I remember playing them and now it's just, they've, they've just been stripped to whatever the mostly selling the cheapest stuff they can. They have a few high end things and honestly the most high end things in there are probably, you know, one rack of really high end Les Pauls or something like well, that. Well, the irony of it is the place that you can go and do that. There's only one location, and it's in the middle of nowhere in Indiana, in Fort Wayne, because there <laughs> right. is a showroom at Sweetwater, which is right. the campus. Is, it's unbelievable. I, I encourage everyone listening to go there and just see what it's all about. It's unbelievable. But they do have a great showroom where you can do that. And there's obvious reasons that you can there, because it's just, just behemoth right. of a retailer. You got cornfields and then Sweetwater. I think it's this fantastic sort of strange netherworld of just, it's just bizarre to me that like somebody of that much influence and that much and having that 
much relationship status with a music gear buying public, there's just one place to go for it. Yeah. But you got to go into the guitar center, like you said, and, and somewhere in Texas or Southern California or Atlanta or Florida, Chicago, and you go in, there's that wall of synths, but they're all just interconnected, some blown speakers, and somehow, right. some way, you've got to wish that you could also play this other synth that's just not there. Yeah, right. But it really does restrict you whenever you're trying to, you know, find stuff because that that can eliminate a lot of buying and then selling stuff off. Right. You know, if if you can go play it or know someone that has it, and you can go play it or whatever. So. I like your I like your advice you mentioned earlier about looking into the plugin game. Like if you it, you know audition some plugins, some soft synths before you make the plunge, you know, and I think that's a valid look on that. I mean, if you if someone can go in because there's so much free stuff you can get, it's like, but I get, I mean, it depends on the f person asking that question, but it's like the software game is so broad that you, you would have a hard time. Look at a company like Tau, for instance, right? Like you have a really hard time convincing me that you can't simulate something I'm saying just to someone. I'm saying to someone in general in a conversation, like you're not going to be able to convince me that you can't find a, a sustainable, similar sounding product as a plugin. Those days are over. If you can't yes. make a track, if you can't create a baseline, a synth, a, you know, a synth baseline, or play some roads or some keys, yes. with what we have today, it just don't. It, it's almost to the point where those conversations don't even exist anymore because it's just. We're, we're past that. I mean, people like, try, but, you know. It's, just, it's, it's, but it's, you know, I mean, we've, we've reached that plateau. Now we're in right. deep. I just, and then you've got the, the, the elephant in the room from Behringer. Have you messed around with that stuff? I've, ha I've had two Ds when they first came out because I poly-chained them and, you know, I had those for a while. But I'm not a big desktop synth person. I never have been. I like kind of complete units with keys and all that type of stuff. Um, that's just a personal thing for me. So I was just always kind of moving them around and I just, you know, I just didn't, right. I just didn't need them. They wound up getting, you know, pushed aside and it's not that they didn't sound good. It's just, you know, size. And I think that having stuff available at many budgets is great for people that want to make music. Right. I just think that is, um, Behringer is filling a space of affordability that people have wanted, right? Like, because I have the sense I have because I can have them, right? If I couldn't have them, I would get whatever the closest thing was to that that I could afford, right? Right. So if Behringer makes, they're making a clone of the, the OBXA, right? If I couldn't get an OBXA, I would then either use a plugin or get their version that's going to come out eventually, if that's what I wanted, right? And that's what I could get. So I don't fault them for that. Um, but I, I also don't like, I want to see what new stuff they're going to do, you know, like what new sense they want to bring to the table. Right. Right. You know, that's, that's what I'm interested in. Like, I'm not going to buy a bunch of their clones. I'm just not going to do it because if I can get the original one for me, it means more to me. Sure. It's just like, there's kit cars. You can build Lamborghinis, but it's not a Lamborghini. You know, like it might look like a Lamborghini, might be the same dimensions and all this stuff, but it's never going to be really a Lamborghini. Yeah. And for someone that likes cars and likes Lamborghinis, they're not going to ever accept that. Right. Right. 
right. someone that doesn't care, it doesn't matter. So for me, oh, just for me personally, you know, the the history of these scents mean a lot to me and the music that was made with them. So that's why they're important to me. Yeah. New generations that have no nostalgia for any of that music or for any of the, the time period or anything like that, even if they dig it now because it's popular, it's never going to feel the same to them that it does to someone who lived then or is part of that. You've been listening to part one of my conversation with Protovolt. We'll continue with part two in the next episode of the Houston Music Podcast. Make sure you follow, leave us a message, let us know what you think about the podcast. I'm Houston Singletary. Thanks for listening.